The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hour, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? We have a great show. It's about consumer privacy rights, and we're going to be speaking with a wonderful attorney from New York City who I met many years ago. In fact, we were on a panel together, and we have kept in contact through the years, and I just admire him so much for all the great work that he does. So let me tell you a little bit about James Fishman. James Fishman is an attorney and a nationally known consumer rights and privacy advocate who has brought numerous groundbreaking cases under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, the Truth in Lending Act, and the New York Deceptive Practices Act. As a former attorney, assistant attorney general in the Bureau of Consumer Frauds and Protection under Robert Abrams in New York, Jamie has over 24 years of experience fighting for the rights of consumers in both the state and federal courts. Jamie Fishman is also a leading and highly respected New York City tenant lawyer who's represented hundreds of residential and commercial tenants before all levels of the New York judicial system, from the housing court up to the New York Court of Appeals. Over 20 of Mr. Fishman's tenant victories have been published in the New York Law Journal and the official state reporter. Now, recognizing that the interests of consumers and tenants really are very similar and often overlap, Jamie has pioneered the use of consumer protection statutes and strategies in the housing area, particularly in the area of tenant privacy. And he brought the first suit on behalf of a residential tenant against a landlord under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and he was alleging impermissible access to her credit report. And then using the Deceptive Practices Act, Jamie successfully sued a major New York landlord for improperly seeking personal identification information from its rent-regulated tenants. Jamie Fishman is also a nationally recognized expert in the rapidly growing area of identity theft litigation, and he has appeared on national TV and in print media. He's lectured extensively and and gave training to many consumer lawyers in the handling of identity theft litigation, and I am so thrilled that he's with us. You can find out more about him at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and also at tenantslaw.net and fmlawoffices.net. Thank you, Jamie, for joining us all the way from New York. Thank you very much for having me, Mari. 
Well, it's this is fun because the last time we were together was a long, long time ago, and you've done such great work. We really appreciate it, especially all that you do on behalf of consumers. So let's talk about what are some of the biggest challenges that consumers face with regard to correcting credit reports? Well, the biggest challenge is that the credit bureaus really don't care uh, about consumers and accuracy issues because consumers aren't their customers. Their customers are the banks and the, uh, you know, the lending institutions that pay to subscribe to their services. So um, uh, consumers are, are, are not really their number one concern, although you know, they, they, they say you know, otherwise, but when it really comes down to it, they really don't care very much and they don't spend very much time or resources on uh, fixing uh, problems and the, the most current problems or the, the most prevalent problems that people have is accuracy. Um, things that are in their reports that just aren't true and it can be for a number of different reasons. It could be because the person has a similar name to somebody else and they're what we call merge file cases where two people's files get put together. Uh, it could be the result of identity theft. It could be that the creditor reported uh, the information incorrectly. Um, and any one of those things can cause uh, inaccurate information uh, on a credit report. And uh, you know, even though there are mechanisms in place for consumers to be able to dispute that inaccurate information, uh, very often it just doesn't happen. Uh, and consumers end up uh, banging their head against the wall over and over again uh, trying to fix this stuff. You know, it was real interesting when you said that they aren't really their customers, which you're right, you know, because they sell the credit reports to all the creditors and landlords and all that stuff. But, you know, lately they have been uh, the customers. And I think it's in, in terms of selling these credit monitoring services. So oh, yeah. it's such it's, it, it's so yeah, ironic paying, <laughs> paying them to protect what you already own and what you uh, already have give a, you what you already own, basically. <laughs> right. And, and paying you to watch a, for errors that they that they make. It's just such an ironic situation that they are just making a fortune after selling these uh, consumer well, credit monitoring services. And of course, they have made a fortune off of the uh, explosion of identity theft because identity theft uh, has been in the news so much and it's gotten people so worried that uh, the credit bureaus have, have, have capitalized on that and uh, gotten people to buy these um, monitoring services uh, to help, you know, to protect them from identity theft. So it's kind of like they've been the greatest beneficiary of uh, of the expansion of identity theft. And, and you know, you and I have talked about this and all of our group of friends and the, uh, you know, the consumer attorneys that talk about how the credit bureaus really facilitate this identity theft because they know darn well when there's two profiles with the same social security number or they know darn well when, when uh, you know, something is a, a different address or all these different kinds of red flags appear and they really really haven't been very good about protecting us from identity theft, and they have no incentive now because if we've got all this explosion and epidemic of identity theft, it just helps with their consumer products. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and, and that's something they'd like to see continue, I think. I think you're right. So let's talk about um, what their what people's rights are. You know, when you were talking about that uh, correcting a credit profile, 
I do a lot of divorce mediation, and one of the things that I always have my clients do is order their credit reports right away so that we can go over them in mediation. And every time I do this, Jamie, there are always errors. There are accounts that are joint that really weren't, that were never joint, that were really individual accounts, or accounts that they thought were closed that aren't closed, or accounts that they don't recognize, or addresses that they never had on there, or inquiries for um, for someone who got their credit report that they there was no permissible purpose. They have no idea who that company is. This we see this all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's very common. And, and in fact, the, the last thing you just mentioned about the uh, accessing the report without permission—that's a whole uh, niche in the uh, area of representing consumers with credit bureaus and with uh, people who pull credit reports. I mean, there. Are, there's a whole body of case law that deals just with that issue, uh, and it comes up in a lot of different contexts. It comes up in divorce cases where an unscrupulous uh, divorce lawyer will uh, you know, manage to pull the uh, opposing spouse's credit report uh, for purposes that are not permitted under the statute. Uh, we see uh, car dealers doing this all the time when somebody goes in to test drive a car and they have to you know, give them their driver's license so they can, you know, show them that they're actually licensed to drive. But they go in the back and make a photocopy of the license. And uh, meanwhile, somebody's in the business office is pulling the credit report while you're out on a test drive. Right. You haven't you know, even you, said you, you want to buy. For credit. Yeah, right. You didn't even and say they, you want to buy the car they, yet. <laughs> yeah, and they do that so that they get a sense of what your credit score is. So they know how much they can mark up, uh, you know, their uh, the rate on a on a on a credit application, uh, and, and you know what their leverage is going to be when they start negotiating a, a purchase with you. Um, but it's absolutely illegal. Um, you're only entitled to pull somebody's credit report if they consent to it or with certain other parameters. But Certainly not simply to go in and test drive a car. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the rights that people have, because my my understanding of even when I have very, very educated clients and a lot of attorneys they that don't do this kind of work, they don't even understand how to read the credit reports. They don't really know what their rights are. It's just a big fog for them. So let's talk about, first of all, what are some of the really important rights that people have with regard to credit reports? Well, the first and the most basic one is the right to a free copy of your report from each of the major credit bureaus once a year. Um, and there's been a lot of advertising on television and the media um, uh, by different companies, mostly credit bureaus, uh, using the word free in their uh, website or their, their advertising, you know, freecreditreport.com, you know, get your free report. None of those uh, products are free. Um, you know, the, what we're fond of saying is that any advertisement or website that uses the word free in it with respect to credit reports is not free. Yes. Uh, the only there's only one website that people can go to to actually get their credit report for free, and that's the official one that's put up by the Federal Trade Commission, which is AnnualCreditReport.com. Um, and let's repeat that again: A N N U A L CreditReport. 
www.realestatemarketingmentor.com. That's really important. And you can call from there. You know, there's a phone number to call or you can go online. And if there's a mixed file and you can't, now this is, I've had this happen lately, Jamie, that someone will try and get it online, but somehow they say the address doesn't match. And those are often victims of of uh, identity theft. So yes, that does happen sometimes. That uh, you know people have trouble getting their free report online because there's some problem with it. In which case, you're supposed to be able to get it by mail. Yes. Um, so, but most people can get their report uh, immediately online, and you have to do it three times uh, because the website will steer you to each of the three credit reporting agencies, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, but you have to do it one at a time. Uh, so once you get your Equifax report, then you have to exit out and go back in and do it with TransUnion and then the same for Experian. Uh, what some people also will do is they'll get one from each company every four months, and that way they're getting their free one-year report, but they're spreading it out over the year. Um, so that's another way to do it, because most of the stuff that you're going to see on one is probably going to be on the other, too. Uh, not always, but very often. Right, right. The, um, the bigger companies, like, though, a, yeah, like American Express. Once a year for free, right. you also have a right to get it at any other time you want. You just have to pay the fee for it, which is usually, what, about 8 or $10 now? Yeah, it depends on what state you're in. But also, if you're a victim of identity theft, if you find out that you're a victim of identity theft, in 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 federally, you can get two extra free credit reports per year, and then some states even more. Like in California, you can get twelve, uh-huh. one so per month. month. Yeah, you can get one per month the year that you're a victim of identity right. theft. So and it's then, different. And then, uh, yeah. I think people should also be, know about their rights to put fraud alerts and, and security and freezes and things like that uh, if there's a, an identity theft uh, problem. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Kind of explain what what those are. Well, I mean, fraud alerts have been around for a long time. I'm not a great big fan of them because I don't think that they're they're really that effective. Um, I mean, a fraud alert is 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 a statement on the report that says warning. Uh, you know, the person is a victim of identity theft and uh, verify the person's identity before extending credit and things like that. Yeah, and it says, call me at this number before you issue credit. And so you, c- I suggest you put your cell phone number because if you're out shopping and you want to get that credit, you can't get it if you're at home. And, you know, right. use your cell phone number. But you're right, though, Jamie, because a lot of times creditors just totally disregard it. They don't even look right. at it or bother with it. Well, in my experience, when somebody applies for credit, the only thing that the creditor is really interested in is the score uh, and not anything that, you know, makes up the substance of the report um, and why the score is what it is. I mean, um, uh, a lot of people who are dealing with credit applications don't have a clue what to do with a fraud alert, and um, uh, they may just deny um, uh, based on the score alone or or not, but in my experience, fraud alerts, fraud alerts don't really prevent fraudulent accounts from being opened. Right. Now, some some creditors are pretty good. They will call you, and, and then you go, no, that isn't me, and then you know mm-hmm. to just cancel their card. But right. um, but let's talk a little bit about a security freeze, because that has some meat to it. Yeah, that's a much stronger uh, mechanism, which actually takes your, your report offline. 
right. uh, so that it's not accessible to any subscriber. Um, any new subscriber, your own, your own. Um, like if you have American Express card and you have a Citibank, they can review it. But right. if somebody's applied for a new credit card in your name or a new loan, or or even a landlord, you know they can't get it without you releasing that right. that PIN number. Yeah. Right, and that's not going to help people who who are uh, you know who have an account takeover problem because that account is already in there. Right. Uh, and it's a it's a legitimate account that belongs to that consumer, but somebody has hacked into it. Uh, and maybe change the mailing address or, you know, any other identifying information so that the consumer is no longer getting, you know, statements. Um, you know, the statements are going somewhere else uh, to the fraud address, um, and that's why the consumer isn't aware that there's fraudulent charges. Right, right. The good news, though, is you are covered by the Fair Credit Billing Act, so you have two months. If you didn't get a statement in the mail, then at least you can say, gee, why didn't I get the statement and call them and get the statement within a month, right. and then you can dispute it. Or I think it's a good idea to be able to go online as long as you have a lot of, um, you have a really uh, 8 to 12 letter and number password and you have anti-spyware and antivirus on your machine, I think it's really a good idea to, to do that online. And, you know, people don't realize this, that this isn't what, what Jamie's talking about is like credit grantors, but identity theft for bank, um, you know, for, for like ATM cards or electronic funds transfers, that's not even going to appear in your credit report. Right. There's not everything appears on credit reports. Um, you know, only things that um, subscribers would report, people who are, you know, belong to that particular credit bureau's uh, subscription um, program, you know, are, are allowed to report information. So there's a lot of things that can happen to you that don't show up on a credit report. Um, we recently um, brought a class action um, against H&R Block uh, for an identity theft a situation which is also something that wouldn't necessarily turn up on a credit report. Um, in that situation, what we found was that uh, our clients um, had uh, used the particular H&R Block office in New York to have their tax returns done uh, for a number of years, and so their personal identifier information was on file, and apparently there was a... Um, rogue employee uh, who was uh, selling that information out the back door uh, to identity thieves who were using it uh, in a way that, uh, well, with the, the scheme that they came up with was uh, to file a fraudulent uh, tax return using that person's name and social security number right. um, and uh, filing, uh, you know, a, a bogus W-2 that showed that the person was entitled to a nice fat refund. Right. Uh, and then going to um, you know, using H&R Block's rapid refund service uh. and applying for the refund uh. and then getting the refund check. Oh, my goodness. Um, and then, of course, when the consumer actually gets around to filing their tax return for real, the IRS told them, well, you already filed this your return. Yes. And that's how they found out about it. Right. Um, and the rapid return uh, loan program is administered through uh, HSBC, 
Um, and when we started to scratch the surface and all this, we found that this was a this was happening in other parts of the country also. It wasn't just this one office of H and R Block, and there had been other lawsuits uh, because uh, the allegations were that they were not fully and properly supervising their employees to make sure that this kind of thing didn't happen. Um, and uh, you know, it's it, it's a problem. People need to be. Uh, um, very, very vigilant uh, about protecting themselves. And now, of course, you say, yeah, well, in their case, could, yeah, how could they do? That? How could they, how protect, can they protect themselves yeah. from this happening? Well, you really can't. I right. Mean, a lot of people ask me, "How do I prevent myself from being a victim of identity theft?" And I say, "You can't." It's like, <laughs> how do you prevent yourself from catching a cold? Right. You, know, you can't. You, you, you can stay inside forever, never go outside, live in a bubble, and maybe you won't ever catch a cold, but. You can't prevent it from happening. There are things that you can do when it does happen, though, to... Well, there's certain things you can do to be a little bit careful. It's like but when you, if you take your vitamins, like, like you know, like yeah. how do you prevent a cold? Well, you exercise, you eat healthy, you should do certain things. And there are certain things, like sure. you just don't, you don't be, give out you know, your sensitive... Out your credit card tool. Right, right. And, and giving out your social security number and, and being really lax on social networking. I mean, there's things like that, but you're 100% right. You know, when you were just talking about the thing with H&R Block, I know that happened out here in California. Too, but it also happened right here on the campus at UCI when a bunch of graduate students um, had the same health carrier. And they went to all of them had gone to file their tax return and they were looking for their refund to pay their their uh, registration fees for their graduate school. And none of them could do that. And they and the IRS said, no, you've already filed a tax return. You already got your refund. And it was a dirty employee, just like what you're talking about, within the health care provider. Mm-hmm. Who, because they all had the same health insurance, and he was the one who was stealing the identities and doing a similar type of a scam that you're talking about. So, so in in that case that you're talking about, it was HBSC that was the one who was doing it. Now, would there be any way that that the IRS would have any any inkling of this that there wasn't like a different address filed, or was it the same address filed? How did that um, work, Jamie? I- I don't recall specifically, but, you know, people move all the time, so a different address isn't going to necessarily raise any eyebrows. Right. Um, so, um, you know, but it was But they claimed the finding. same, they, they, did they claim the same employment? Because a couple of the ones that I've had that were victims, they claimed it like they claimed to be a different type of, um, you know, have their own business and, you know, yeah, well, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, these were bogus W-2s that right. were just created out of thin air. Right. Uh, to create this, um, um, you know, it, it looked like this person actually earned, you know, this money at a particular job. Right. And they never did. So, uh, so, so in terms of, of prevention, obviously, the it was what, negligence, hiring, negligence, supervision, all sorts of, what were the causes of action on that one? Yeah, those are, they're more, mostly um, common law kind of claims like that, which is, why the case was brought in the state court instead of federal court, because it doesn't really implicate uh, a Fair Credit Reporting Act right, uh, right. claim. Um, but you What know, was it, it, like invasion of not, privacy? It's not easy to prove those things. Right. Um, because generally it's considered that if, if an employee commits a crime, uh, that that's, you know, the defense to that is, well, it's outside the scope of his employment, therefore the 
the uh, employer is not liable. So you have to show that there was either negligence in hiring somebody who maybe had a criminal record or in uh, supervising where you have put on notice that these kinds of things are happening. How about negligent Um, access? Like, did they really have to have access to the former files to be able to to do the job that they were doing? I mean, if... if Well, clearly, you know, there's all kinds of new rules that have come come about as far as uh, keeping uh, confidential information confidential uh, and not subjecting people's personal information to uh, review by anybody and everybody. Right. Um, I mean, you can't just throw out old files in a dumpster anymore. Right. Um, although that certainly used to happen all the time, and still sure. does. Um, but it's still not a not you know as easy a claim as some people might think. Um, right. To prove the liability of the uh, employer in this situation. Well, the good news is that you guys were able to at least, I mean, was the person who did this prosecuted, so you at least had... Um, I believe that there was an arrest, but we were able to resolve the case to our client's satisfaction. I'm not allowed to talk right, tell you right. how happy they were, but it was right. certainly a satisfactory resolution. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit more about the rights. So you have a right to get your credit. Let's let's kind of go through some of the important rights that people have okay. that they don't even know. You know. Okay. okay. Well, one other very very important thing that people aren't are not generally aware of is you have a right to have obsolete information removed from their report, even if it's accurate, uh, because the the Fair Credit Reporting Act sets um, certain um, uh, time frames. Uh, for how long certain things are allowed to be reported. Um, so when something has is, is, is been on there for a certain period of time, legally it's required to come off. Right. So um, it's like seven years, right? For Seven years is the general rule. It's, it's longer for other kinds of things, but it's generally seven years. And the major exception to that is that if you're applying for credit in excess of $50,000, then these obsolete rules generally don't apply. Mm. So it's only for you know the smaller kinds of credit um, applications. Um, but there's lots of um, smaller credit bureaus that I deal with on a regular basis that routinely violate this. And uh, what I'm referring to is uh, you mentioned earlier about my tenant practice. Uh, I represent a lot of tenants in connection with what's called tenant screening reports. Yes. Um, and those are specialized kind of credit reports that are issued by specialized credit reporting agencies called tenant screening bureaus. Uh, what they do is they buy or, or obtain data from various courts around the country, uh, which we call here in New York the housing court, for example. In different parts of the country, it's called something else. But they buy up data about uh, cases that were brought against tenants uh, for, you know, in, in uh, eviction claims, either for non-payment of rent or breaching a lease or something. Uh, and they archive that data, and then they turn around and sell it to prospective landlords when that person wants to apply to rent an apartment. And the landlord wants to know, has this person ever been involved in an eviction case somewhere else, anywhere in the country? Right, and those are not really accurate records, are they? Well, they're very incomplete. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and accuracy is only one 
component of what the Fair Credit Reporting Act requires. It not only has to be accurate, but it has to be complete and not be misleading. And um, there is no way that these reports could ever be considered to be complete and not misleading, uh, because there's all kinds of uh, situations that get involved in you know these cases and why they were brought and, and, and what really happened that tell the whole story. But the credit reporting agencies, these tenant screening companies, are just not interested in that. All they report is, A, you were sued, and B, um, you know, if there was a judgment, uh, this is the amount of the judgment. Um, in New York, for example, tenants have very, very strong rights in the event that they have a, an apartment with very bad conditions. If, you know, if, if they're, you know, if the landlord refuses to make repairs that are necessary and there's bad conditions, a judge can reduce the amount of rent that the tenant has to pay. Um, but at the end, the landlord gets a money judgment for the amount that's left over. So if there's really, really bad conditions and the tenant owes $10,000 in rent uh, and the judge awards a 90% abatement of rent because of the conditions, the only thing the report's going to show is a judgment for the landlord for $1,000. Right. And so and that's not a, really... you know, yeah. any of the other stuff that caused the tenant to have to go into housing court in the first place to get their repairs. Well, it's so good. Thank God that you are around to help all these tenants because there is a... I've heard from many, many people out here with the same kind of problems. But you know what, Jamie? We are just about out of time. So why don't you give your two websites and then right. we will have to have you back again. There's just so much that you have. So much wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, there's tenantslaw.net. Okay. And the other one is consumerattty.net. They both lead to the same website. Okay. Well, we will have you back again. Thank you so much, Jamie. And keep up that great work. You are knight in shining armor. Well, thank you, Mari. Thank okay. You we'll, talk, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and tell us what's important to you about privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.